Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show, as always, uh, this Thursday evening, uh, the 12th of May. Hard to believe that we're uh, getting close to the middle of the month already. Uh, we're going to start off uh, in just a moment with another great discussion on Coach's Corner, and then I'm going to be joined a little bit later on by my very special guest, uh, Joe Newmeyer. He is the founder and managing partner of Ace Indoor Golf. We'll talk to him a little bit later on in the broadcast. But thank you, everybody, for joining me live this Thursday evening, May the 12th. All right, I'm going to bring out the guys here on the panel. Uh, first up is John Decker. He's the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also one of the senior editors and top 25 instructors at Golf Tips Magazine. In 2015, he was named Southern Ohio's Teacher of the Year, and he has authored the book Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. And he's also available for public speaking, so at the end of the show, he'll give you uh, the best way to reach out to him. Also joining us on the panel tonight is John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida's PGA section. Uh, he was also the recipient of the, 2000, the 2013 excuse me, PGA of America's Horton Smith Award. And he, too, is a senior editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor. Uh, plus, he's part of the Golf Tips advisory staff. So please welcome John and John. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ted. Ted, John. Hello. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Doing great, Ted. Having fun. Perfect. That's all that matters. That's right. All right. So, um, as I briefly mentioned just before um, we went live, I just got back from Pinehurst. I uh, spent a few days up at the uh, resort. Uh, never been there before, so uh, it was good to get up there and. Uh, played a, a little bit of golf, played on a couple of the courses. Number two was the first one, and number four was the second. Uh, I was supposed to play another one, but I had to come back a little bit earlier than expected, so I had to cancel that one, but uh, had a good time. Didn't play as good as I would have liked, but I'm not going to complain. Uh, I had fun nonetheless, but uh, uh, as I was saying, it was a little bit nippy, guys, uh, a little unusual weather for this time of year. Uh, we got down to, I think it was 52, 53 the first day, and then it beefed up a little bit to uh, low 60s, and then, of course, the day I was leaving, it got up to 74, so I uh, didn't get the best of the weather. It was not bad, but uh, would have liked it a little bit warmer, but uh, nevertheless had a good time, and uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see hopefully the next time I make it up that way, things will be a little bit, uh, a little bit warmer for me. All right, we're going to talk about something, um, guys, and really these are some rules, if you will. We're not going to get into all the technical 
uh, technicality, if you will, but uh, things that you should know, uh, particularly if you're uh, playing in tournament golf. So whether you're playing in a professional level tournament or maybe your club championship, uh, these are some golf rules that you definitely need to know. And uh, Mr. Decker, I'm going to start with you first. Um, and this probably seems very simple, but you'd be surprised at how many people mess this one up. Um, you got to count your clubs. How many clubs are we allowed to have and why? Well, Ted, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And, John, as always, I look forward to being on with you. I always enjoy being on uh, and learn, I always learn something every time I'm on with you as well. Um, Ted, that's a great question. You're, the, for the listeners out there, you're allowed to carry 14. You do not have to carry 14 clubs. Uh, you could have 14 putters in your bag if you wanted to. That would not be advisable, but uh, it doesn't matter um, as long as you don't have more than 14 clubs you can have under. In fact, uh, for a lot of the listeners out there, if you're new to the game, you don't need to buy a full set. You can start out. I mean, I started out with, you know, three, four, five clubs in a bag when I first got started as a junior. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, you don't have to have the 14. I think that there's some clubs that you certainly do want to have in your bag. Um, but um, that one of those would be a driver. Uh, you you need to have something to tee off with or a three wood. You can something that you can tee off. Sometimes they have a a three wood for some people is better. And then you want to have uh, you know putter and some wedges and really uh, like maybe a, a seven iron nine iron pitching wedge. Uh, that is enough to uh, get you started in the game. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I think that is if you're a better player, if you're a tournament player, you certainly want to have all 14 clubs in your bag and it's important that when you have all 14 clubs in your bag is that you have them spaced out properly so that you're not carrying two clubs uh like i see some people carry like a two hybrid and a five wood well they essentially have about the same club so i always recommend Mm -hmm. they get one you know pick one and get rid of the other one uh or having two wedges that may be a 56 and a 58 degree wedge when ideally you would like your wedges uh, and all of your clubs to be spaced out about four to five degrees. Uh, so you don't want to have two clubs that are really close in, in loss. Uh, so, but as far as the clubs uh, that you can carry legally, you can, you're allowed 14 clubs. Yeah, and, and, you know, the reason why I ask is, again, this is uh, obviously in, you know, if you're just having a little bit of fun and you're just out with your weekend warrior buddies, if you will, um, again, you should – certainly adhere to it. It's a good practice to make, but um, it's not going to cost you anything unless other than maybe a little bit of ribbing from your, from your mates. But um, in tournament play, um, this will help you having the right number of clubs, a maximum of 14 uh, will help you to avoid a two stroke penalty. So you definitely want to make sure you check your bag. If you're playing in an event, uh, maybe again, it's your club championship or what have you, you want to make sure because if you get called out on that case, uh, you're going to end up uh, incurring a two-stroke penalty. So it's definitely something to do. And, and the reason why, uh, you'll understand as we go along, guys, the reason why I want to do this is they might seem very simple to the three of us because we are around the game quite often, but there's a lot of golfers, especially new golfers, that don't understand what to do in certain situations. So, Mr. Hughes, I'm going to come to you. And this is one, again, that uh, seems very simple, but uh, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people aren't clear on what to do. So, in this particular case, if the ball falls off the tee, so in other words, you're on a uh, uh, next hole, let's say, and you've teed things up and the ball uh, drops off, um, there is no penalty 
but there is an exception to that rule. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, that particular case. There is, again, no penalty if it falls off on its own or the wind picks up and knocks it off or you didn't tee it up very well, uh, but there is an exception to that rule if you tee it up and uh, the ball falls off, and maybe you could touch on that a little bit. Sure. First off, thanks, Ted, as always, for the opportunity. John, it's always fun to be on with you, and, and Ted, you got me stumped with the exception. The biggest reason why there is no penalty is the ball's not in play. The, mm-hmm. the real key here is your intention behind whether you intentionally went to swing, stopped, missed, whatever, and the ball fell off versus it accidentally fell off due to no fault of your own, wind, et cetera. No penalty because the ball's not in play yet. I'm not up on my rules, Ted. You're going to have yep. to help me. Okay, not a problem. I figured that. Is, <laughs> and I need a little bit of help on this one, too, because it's not one that's it's not common. A lot of players uh, are surprised. In fact, almost 100% of the players are not sure what happened. So, again, if you teed the ball up and you're getting ready, you're maybe taking a, a practice swing and you're not a, a actually addressing the ball, uh, again, as John mentioned, there is no penalty. However... Uh, if you whiff the ball, in other words, on your first shot, you uh, do a little air uh, shot over the ball and it happens to fall off, there is no penalty. However, uh, you do have to play it where it lies. So um, it, it counts as a stroke. So in other words, if you're, uh, and that's why, you know, if you're doing a, and that's why you'll see a lot of pros will take a step back or two um, when they're practice swings because they don't want to have that happen. Because if it does whip, they have to play it where it lies, and that becomes your second shot. So um, that's the exception to the rule is if you whip the shot uh, or do the old air pass over, if you will, and it drops off the tee, you got to play it where it lies. Uh, Mr. Decker, we're coming back to you. Here's one, uh, and again, um, we're differentiating between the weekend warriors and obviously in tournament play. Um, give us the scoop, if you wouldn't mind. And again, uh, you know, even we get a little bit rusty sometimes with the rules. If you're unclear of something or need clarification, um, by all means, I've got some information here to, to help us through if we need it. Uh, but giving advice, can we do that in tournament play or not? Uh, no, you cannot give advice. And there's a difference um, in advice and course knowledge. For example, if Ted, if you and I were out on the golf course and let's say there's a 150-yard marker or a sprinkler head that has a marker, uh, you know, that has maybe to the front, middle, and back. If, I, if you're standing right by the marker and I say, hey, Ted, what marker, is that the 150 or is that the, you know, what does that say to the front? That's not giving advice. That's common knowledge. There's no penalty for that. But, no, um, you cannot give advice. And it's very important if you're playing in tournament golf um, that you – for example, let's say that you're on a par three and everybody's standing around the tee and you tee off and you hit a shot and maybe you're using your six iron and um, and you say something to the effect of, you know, man, I can't hit that six iron very well today or something like that. You've got to be careful with that because that could be technically, if it's said in the mm-hmm. wrong context, that could actually be considered giving advice because you're, you're, uh, you're acknowledging that information. Now, if I'm playing on the golf tournament and you're and I'm playing with you, and Ted pulls his six iron out, and I look over and see that he's pulling out a six iron, there's nothing illegal about that. Now, I'm not going to go over and stand over your bag and watch you pull your club out, but if I see you pull out a six iron, there's nothing illegal about 
me doing that. So there's, it's very important um, if you have a caddy, if you're playing in a tournament with a caddy, conversations about club selections, keep them down. Don't, don't be announcing them because, again, I've seen crazy things happen in tournaments. I can't, there was a, a tour player years ago that uh, got called on that, and I can't remember who it was. But it was uh, it was just one of those technicalities where you know he was technically given advice because of of uh, he, he made a comment after uh, I think what it was is it, someone had looked in his bag was looking in his bag and he goes well you're looking in my bag anyway I was hitting a six iron and and he got called uh, a penalty on that so uh, you're not allowed to uh, give advice and you can't give swing advice or anything like that but you can give course knowledge anything along those lines that's perfectly fine. Yeah, well said. And again, it's a penalty of, of two strokes. There is one exception, of course, and I think you kind of touched on this, is in a team match, you and your partner, as well as your respective caddies, certainly can discuss strategy. But uh, if, it's, uh, if it's not in that context, uh, again, you cannot give uh, advice, um, and you have to be careful, again, as you pointed out with the six iron example, you have to be careful of what you say, um, because it could be uh, construed as giving advice uh, in the round, and that's going to incur you two strokes as well. Uh, Mr. Hughes, we're going to come back to you. And this one here, and again, if there's any clarification, uh, certainly understand, feel free to, to uh, reach out. Uh, the difference between water and lateral hazards. Uh, obviously, water hazard is marked in yellow, uh, lateral in red. Um, maybe give us a, a scoop, if you will, a little bit about that. Uh, what are some of the procedures, if you will? And again, if you need any Assistance, I'm happy to help you out. You must have the rule book and the definitions in front of you, and I don't. And it's been seven years since I've gone through a USGA rules class. This this one's pretty simple, and with the rules changes of 19 to 20, you don't see a lot of yellow as much, and we don't differentiate mm -hmm. it as lateral or water hazard. It's just a hazard. It's a penalty area is the, is the term for it. But in, there are different procedures for the different penalties. Basically, mm -hmm. a yellow water is water between you and the flag that you failed mm -hmm. to navigate over. Uh, it's all about where your ball last crossed the hazard. With any penalty area, where did your ball last crossed? I'll go to the red because the yellow can get a little bit confusing. Red is basically mm -hmm. along the sides of you, whether it's left of you, right of you. Uh, a lot of times you'll see red behind you as well, just in case. Uh, we're a really good rules committee is going to mark everything on the golf course, including what might be behind you, believe it or not. So wherever the ball last crossed the hazard, you have the option of taking your nearest point of relief from that. And the nearest point of relief that most people make the mistake of is what's called full relief. You just can't find the best place for the ball to be and still have your foot in that penalty area or still have your intended swing to go through that penalty area. You have to seek full relief of ball stance, uh, lie stance, and swing. And normally when you're penalized, you're going to get two, uh, two club lengths of any club you want to mm -hmm. use. Most people use a driver. It's the longest club in the bag. With non-penalized relief, you're getting just one club length, 
relief no closer to the hole. Uh, they did away with going to the opposite side of a red hazard with the new rules changes. It used to be that if, say, there was a stream and you didn't like where the ball went through the hazard last, went through the penalty area, you could go to the opposite side an equal distance away and keep the point between you, that point between you and the, and the hole and be able to drop. They did away with that for pace of play reasons. Uh, and they got a little bit more liberal with the drop zone, which helped eliminate that. So the yeah. other most common mistake people make is a re-tee where they re-hit and thinking they can play a provisional. When your ball is known to be in a penalty area, there's no such thing as a provisional. Provisional is only good for an out-of-bounds or a lost ball. And I might be answering some questions you have mm-hmm. in the future there, Ted, and I apologize. But getting back to it's worth mentioning because a lot that's the most common mistake I see besides where to drop that hey i'm gonna I'm gonna hit this just in case well, there's no just in case it's either in the penalty area or it's not, so we come back to the water between you and the hole. There is a provision that allows you and you see this sometimes at augusta national on fifteen uh where the ball has hit the green and then rolls down back the back down the embankment and into the into the penalty area. You can seek relief on the side where the green is because that's where the ball last crossed. You'll see mm-hmm. most professionals, however, drop on the other side. If you never get to cross to the other side, you have to keep the ball where the ball crossed, say, in the air, whether it's 100 feet in the air or three feet in the air, between you and the hole, and you can either seek two club lengths relief from that point, or you can go back as far as you wish, keeping that point between you and the hole. Sorry to ramble on. Sorry to carry on with yep. some other rulings, but <laughs> some of these other rulings do are, are in consideration when you're talking about water as a penalty area. Yeah, you, no, not a problem. You you covered it very well, and and you hit uh, essentially all the all the points. And and you know also again, and I know this is a little bit unfair to throw the rules in, but I thought it'd be an interesting discussion because, um, uh, again, a lot of our golfers, most golfers that have played for any length of time, um, have a, a general understanding of most of the rules, and usually in tournament play, whether it be club, again the club championship or what have you. Uh, if there are any local rules or things like that, they'll lo- usually discuss that at the beginning of the event before you actually tee it off, let you know of any changes uh, to any of the existing rules and so forth. But, uh, no, you did a great job, uh, John. And, and again, um, there have, certainly have been some changes to the rules um, since probably most of us have, have uh, taken any rules, uh, courses, and so forth. Uh, Mr. Decker, going to come back to you. This is one here that's kind of interesting as well. Uh, improving your lie or position uh, by moving what they cur- uh, refer to as growing things. So as an example, uh, your ball comes to rest under a tree and it appears uh, you still have a shot, um, but the problem is that there's a, a bit of a, uh, an issue. You've got a limb interfering in your backswing. Um, can you break that off to um, give things up or is that going to cost you some strokes? No, you cannot. You have to be very, very careful, um, especially when you make practice swings. 
Um, I've had this happen to me in a tournament where I made a practice swing. If I make a practice swing and I hit a tree and I start knocking leaves off, you know, that's, that's a penalty. You cannot do that. You cannot do anything to improve your, your swing, improve your path of your swing. Uh, and if it's fixed, if it's something that's growing, you cannot uh, move it. If it's something that's loose, like a loose impediment, it could be like a um, maybe some loose gravel. It could be um, it could be like a, a pine cone or something like that. Anything like that that's not fixed, you can move, but you cannot move the ball. So you have to be very mm-hmm. careful. Um, when I was, you mentioned Pinehurst. I was working with um, Tiffany Tavi years ago. She was playing in the U.S. Open there and uh 2007 and um i before she went we had talked on the phone and um you know she was nervous it was her first u.s open and she hit it over into the pine needles and uh and she said she was about eight feet away from the ball and there was a stick and she picked up the stick to move the stick and when she did that the pine needles are like a spider web and and mm-hmm. and the pine needles moved and it moved the ball and she got uh, penalized for that so uh, you have to always be careful when you're picking up anything around the ball that you do not move the ball. And I, and I felt bad when, when I talked to her after the first round because I knew that I knew I played at Pinehurst before I've been in, uh, from North Carolina. I know what pine needles can do. And you have to be very careful with pine needles walking around the ball. If there are, the ball's on pine needles, it can, if you're not careful and you pick something up, uh, it can, you may, be, you may think you're picking up one stick, but you may be moving the pine needles, which will move the ball. And so um, that was a lesson I learned as a coach and that you always prepare – you over-prepare people sometimes with things so that when they get under pressure, um, you know, they, they, they can think logically uh, when it comes to things like that. So uh, there's a lot of funny things that can happen on the golf course, but, but um, you, as long as it's, you know, not growing – uh, and it's loose, uh, you can move it, assuming you're not in a hazard. Right. Um, uh, well said. Um, and, 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 again, you know, I noticed, uh, unfortunately, a couple times I hit into the pine straw at, uh, at Pinehurst, and, uh, you know, it, something as simple as e- even walking up to the ball, um, again, depending on, on the lie, um, can actually – move the ball um and it's not because you're moving the ground it's just again everything's sort of interwoven and connected so you have to be real careful and sometimes if something as simple as trying to identify your ball again if you're stepping on some pine needles if they're all interconnected your ball happens to be sitting on top now obviously if you're just out recreationally that's not an issue but if you're in tournament play and your ball happens to move uh you know you, you've got to incur that uh, that penalty um because you, again you've caused it to, to move in, in tournament um John Hughes, we're going to come back to you. And this one talks about uh, the bunker uh, a little bit. And, again, it's fairly simple answers I'm looking for here. Uh, there are the common infractions. Um, there are really two here. Uh, and then I want to also address uh, the rake in a bunker, um, what happens if the ball comes up and rests against that. Is that allowable to move uh, that particular item uh, sort of falls into what John was just talking about here. So what are a couple of the rules? What what can you do in the bunker? Um, for instance, can you ground your club uh, and or can you move uh, any impediments from the, such as leaves or, or twigs or sticks that may be uh, impeding your, your swing? 
So the first thing is don't ever bring your Lego toys into the bunker because you lose them in the tank. <laughs> they, they, they stay there. Um, as far as the rake, that's always the most interesting question that people provide me and what should we, what should I do? And the, and the answer is real simple. You play the ball as it lies, but you do get relief from the rake because it's a man-made object, and that sort of uh, dovetails into some other things we'll talk about. The procedure, very simple. Mark your ball with a T. That is where it lies. And once you've got the ball marked as far as where it lies, without touching it, it's doing the best job you can, Remove the rake without moving the ball. The tee's there to put the ball back where it originally lay. You're seeking relief, and you get the relief, but you don't necessarily have to get penalized for getting the relief. It's your job to make sure you don't get penalized. You move the rake, mm-hmm. the ball moves, you're deemed to have moved the ball. But if you're mm-hmm. marking it and telling people what you're doing, and that's the real key, you've got to announce to your playing competitors or partners what your intent is of marking the ball and moving the rake, you're good to go. Yep. As far as what you can remove in a bunker, anything man-made is, remove, is movable. Uh, with the rules changes in 19 and 20, if there's some dangerous objects, large rocks, pebbles, stones, uh, those kinds of things that are deemed natural, yeah, you can move those out of the way. Uh, they just felt like, hey, that's a safety issue you can now move those out of the way. But they have to be either bothering the lie or bothering your swing, for lack of a better way of saying. You can't move a rock that's, say, three feet in front of the ball or behind the ball simply because you want to move the rock. If if that rock is not in the line of play, it's not going to detrimentally harm your swing or how the ball lies, you can't move it, you're penalized. Uh, the other big penalty that people get in the bunker is grounding the club. And grounding the club right. is not just putting the club behind the ball. When you make your backswing, if any part of that club touches the sand, you are deemed to have ground your club and or tested the condition. And therefore, that's a penalty. Um, I can remember can't remember the gentleman's name, but at Harbortown several years ago in a playoff, he felt like he had ground his club in the bunker. Uh, they showed videotape evidence afterwards, and it was still skeptical then, but he called the penalty on himself. Uh, so, no, you can't not touch the bunker uh, in any shape, fashion, or form until the club approaches the ball and swings through the sand to extricate the ball. Uh, the other one I just mentioned is you can't test the conditions. You're, you're taught to, hey, get your feet in there, uh, understand what the condition is. Is it dry, wet sand? Is it fluffy or compact? Absolutely legal, but if you start building a stance such as you pick up your right foot about knee high and then angle it in from the outside end to, to sort of build a foot wedge in there, you're testing the condition. You're building a lot. You're building a stance for yourself, and that's deemed to be illegal. It's a two-stroke penalty. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, here's an interesting one. I'm just going to throw this one in real quick, and then, John uh, Decker, I'm going to come back to you. 
Um, this is one that I, I've actually personally been asked before about uh, tapping um, on a putting surface, what you can tap down. Um, obviously, in today's modern game, most players now are wearing uh, soft spikes or, or softless spikes in many cases, uh, and player may come across a spike mark on the green and be tempted to press them down. Uh, big no-no there that actually constitutes a two-stroke penalty. Penalty, excuse me. What you can uh, press down or tap down, if you will, uh, are pitch marks. So if it's especially if it's in, in the line of your ball, if somebody's uh, failed to repair a pitch mark, because again that's not um, something that uh, that's essentially man-made. You can certainly repair that, uh, but you cannot spike marks, and um, you cannot improve the lie uh, by tapping down those spike marks, uh, if you will. Um, that's something that I've been asked uh, for uh, in the past, and a lot of people do it. I mean, again, in, in a weekend uh, situation where you're just playing with your buddies, that's a different sort of a tournament. That's definitely a no-no. You're going to incur a two-stroke penalty there. Um, John Decker, I'm going to come back to you on this one here. Um, everybody from time to time, unfortunately, uh, has a, what they call a lost ball. Um, how much time are you allowed to search? Um, and what happens after that time expires with the ball if it's not found? Ted, uh, great, great question. Um, you know, this is one of the rules changes that was just made uh, in, I believe it was 2020. Um, it used to be five minutes you're allowed to, to, to do the search, mm -hmm. and that's once you get to the, the search starts once you get there. It doesn't start while you're walking down the fairway. It starts when you actually get to the general area of where your presumed ball is. And for all those out there, it is good etiquette for everyone to help find someone's ball. It is bad etiquette to stand over there and not help someone. So, because who knows, on the next hole, you may need the help finding your ball. Uh, so the, now they've changed it to three minutes, um, and if you do not find the ball, then you have to get that is now a lost ball, and you have to go back to wherever you started from and hit another one, unless you have hit a provisional. And so anytime you hit a ball to an area that's not a hazard, now if you hit it to an area that's a presumed hazard, like John was mentioning earlier, then do not hit a provisional. But if you hit the ball, the, let's say you hit the ball into the middle of the trees, you know it's not out of bounds, but there's trees over there, what you need to do, again, like John said, you need to announce to your group, I am going to hit a provisional for a lost ball. And then you hit your provisional out there. Uh, now you essentially have hit two balls off the tee. You go look for the first ball. If you find that first ball, you have to play it. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. where it is, you have to play it. You cannot play the provisional at that point. Uh, if you wanted to declare that ball, let's say that you, it was unplayable and you had no shot, and you were going to have to re-tee it and play, a, play an unplayable lie, you cannot play the provision. You have to go back and re-tee in that situation. So, uh, but provisional balls are to help speed up play. I recommend that if you hit a ball into high grass or trees, areas that are not hazards but areas that you know you're going to be look, doing a search, uh, then I recommend that you hit a provisional. That way if the three minutes goes by really fast when it's your ball. And when you're searching, mm -hmm. it seems like it takes forever. Um, so um, the three minutes will go by very fast. Um, and it's one of my um, – I don't know if that rule um, is, is um, in some ways 
good for golf or not. And um, I know that they're trying to speed up play, but um, one of the things I've always thought is that if you hit a lost ball or if you hit a ball that in an area where it's, where you, you, you can't find it, um, that you should, you should be able to drop at that point and, and play it, play it, take a one shot penalty. That's something I think that I would speed up play um, very much like you would do for a lateral hazard or something along those lines. Uh, because one of the areas where golf can be a little bit unfair, and this happened to me in our section championship, is when you hit the ball into the rough, it's not – everyone sees that it's in the rough and you can't find the ball. That is, uh, uh, that is where you have to make the walk of shame because it's, it's not a shot that you feel like you really hit way offline. You could see – I mean, I've had a ball literally be two yards off the fairway. We, it was in the rough. We could not find it. And so I had to go back, I had to drive, you know, go all the way back to the tee, I had to play another ball, and then the group behind me found my ball, and he said, yeah, it was, it was right there in the rough. They, we just couldn't find it. Our entire group couldn't. So uh, lost balls are, can be um, frustrating in the game, but uh, the provisional is the way to go. Yeah, well said. Uh, and that was actually going to be the next question was about the provisional, but uh, you covered that uh, very well. Um, John Hughes, uh, this is one, too, that um, I think, uh, again, seems very, very simple, but, um, again, a lot of people, again, in tournament play, uh, things are a little bit different. Uh, the order of play, and this mainly, mainly comes up in match play, um, but um, how do we decide whose turn it is uh, and under what circumstances? Very easy. The person with the lowest score on the last hole, and if everybody was tied, it, it keeps going backwards until somebody was deemed to have had a lower score than somebody else. An example, you're playing a threesome, one person birdies, everybody else pars. It's a person with the birdie who tees off next. Um, it's very simple that way. A lot of times you'll see because of pace of play where somebody wants to go first, uh, especially at the amateur levels when you're put on the clock, all of a sudden people start panicking. You're supposed to keep the integrity of the game intact when that happens and still play in order because if you're playing out of order, you could be asked to re-tee. I've actually seen this happen where mistakenly it wasn't because people were in a hurry, person wasn't paying attention, hit the best drive of his life down the fairway. It wasn't his turn to hit, and everybody says, well, that doesn't count. Uh, you're going to have to hit another one. And the second one literally gets in a hazard or OB, I don't remember exactly. Uh, and be So because he wasn't paying attention, he had to re-tee. It's really important, even when you're on the clock, keep the integrity of who has honors. Uh, unless a rules official comes to you for some reason and says, hey, let's go ahead and play out of order due to whatever. I've never seen that happen, uh, but it could happen. It's allowed within the rules for that rules official to be the person who says, hey, it's okay. But until that happens, keep the order. That's, that's the best thing I can tell you. Uh, mm. The other thing as far as a provisional real quick that I want to mention is a rule that nobody ever uses, yet if used correctly, can save you a lot of time, a lot of headache, and that's 20.1, which allows you to play a second ball when you're not sure of what the ruling could be. And the most common thing time that happens is with ant hills 
animal burrows, those kinds of things. And the other thing that normally happens, you and your playing com- competitors get in an argument over whether you should or shouldn't get relief. It's really simple. Declare you're going to play a second ball under Rule 2021, but the real key to the matter here is tell who you're playing and who you're declaring this with which ball will you intend to keep score. Most of the time, the people that you're in the argument with want you to keep score with that first one. If you believe you are entitled to the relief, play the second ball providing yourself relief, but tell everybody it's your intention to score with that second ball. Until such time, a rules official can either show up or you're there to sign the scorecard at the end of the 18 holes, at which time you can get a rules official to actually deem was done correctly and which ball should have been played. I've seen where waiting for a rules official can hold a play as much as 20, 25 minutes if they're on the other side of the golf course. With Rule 20.1, mm-hmm. you can you can keep pace of play. You'll never get put on the clock for it. I've seen people do it. The uh, official comes over and says, well, you're on the clock, but wait a minute, you weren't around. I played 20.1, da-da-da-da-da, and they immediately like, hey, our fault, my bad. Let's say, what did you have to do? <laughs> Um, and, and and it works out. It's it's sort of the gentleman's way of saying, I'm going to play a second ball because neither of us are really understanding what's going on here, and we need professional help. We need an expert. But to not hold up play and not get us out of tempo and timing, let me draw. Let me take this. I intend to to play this ball and score with this ball. I'm going to play both in as required, and that's the other key, is you play both of those balls in, record the score for both, and then when you hit the rules official, ask them, hey, which one should I be? This is the one I intend to play, but which one legally should I be? Right. Well said. Um, And, again, a lot of these, you know, most often you're not going to be faced with, but they can come up, and it's a good idea to sort of refresh yourself. Again, 90% of the people, I guarantee, don't even – read the, the rule books, but, you know, if you're coming into a tournament, especially if you want to uh, score well or you want to play well in your tournament, it's a good idea to know some of the rules. Some of them are a little more basic than others, as we've talked about a few of them. Some of them get in a little bit more detail, like you just discussed there, uh, John. Um, John Hughes, I'm going to come back to you, and this is another one, uh, sprinkler heads. This is another area that sort of comes under the immovable objects umbrella, if you will, um, but what about relief? Is there relief from a, a sprinkler head as an example? Because a lot of times, especially up around the greens, uh, we get a situation where maybe the ball rolls into the uh, the indention, if you will, from the sprinkler head. Do we get relief? And if so, what do we need to do? Relief was for John, relief. John Hughes or John Decker? John Hughes. Uh, sorry, Decker. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I was confused on Oh yes, uh, you do get relief um, if your first. Let's talk about if your ball is on the sprinkler head. Sometimes your ball will roll right on on top of the sprinkler head. You you take you have to take the nearest point of relief. You get relief and you have to take the nearest point of relief, and um, that's uh, really I would without getting in. I think it's going to be difficult to explain this the, as far as determining the nearest point of relief. But I would go on. Uh, 
the USGA website and, and, and put that in under search, and they have some excellent videos on explaining that because you have to determine the nearest point of relief, and um, it can, uh, a lot of it can be depend on whether you're right-handed or left-handed and things like that when you take your stance. And you have to take full relief when you do that so that, that uh, once you take relief, uh, no part of your body is touching the, the sprinkler head. If you're standing on a sprinkler head, uh, you get relief from that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as and um, so you get relief, and again you have to take the nearest point of relief when you do that. Uh, and then the the third is if your club is going to actually hit the sprinkler head. Let's say your ball is right behind the sprinkler head, and if you were to swing through and hit, you could hit the ball cleanly, but unfortunately, you would hit the sprinkler head in your divot. You get relief from that as well. If the sprinkler head is in front of you. And you're on. You have a chip shot, and it does. You're not standing on it, and there's no way that your club's going to hit it. Uh, you do not get relief from that. So in a situation where I get people all the time, and they'll say they'll be right off the green, and there's a sprinkler head maybe three feet in front of them, and they want to putt, and I say, well, here's an example of why you need to learn how to chip, because you can't putt in a situation, uh, because you're going to putt right through that sprinkler head. Who knows what the ball's going to do? So this is why you need to learn how to hit different shots around the green. So line of sight with a sprinkler head is not uh, – you do not get relief from that. But if you're standing on it uh, or if your ball is on it, uh, then yes. Or if your club is going to hit it during your swing, you would get relief from that. Right. And just to quickly recap, just to so that people understand, um, relief is granted from the sprinkler head uh, if the ball uh, – intended stance or the swing as you're referring to uh, is going to be interfered with, then you can get relief. Line of play or line of sight as you're referring to isn't covered, meaning, again, if you're putting from the fringe uh, and the sprinkler is maybe uh, a couple of feet in front of you, uh, that you do not get uh, uh, relief from. And, again, that's where you want to work on your chipping and and, uh, maybe your little pitch shots or whatever. Um, And I think that it's... uh, you know, it, it's good to know that because that, that one comes up probably more often than people realize, especially around the greens. There might be several sprinkler heads there, um, and a lot of people don't know what to do. And definitely um, you don't want to injure yourself if the ball rolls up close to it and you know that taking your swing, and you pointed that out, John, um, taking your you know a divot when you hit the ball, you still might hit the ball, but if it's going to uh, hit the, the sprinkler head, um, that's certainly going to hurt and uh, and cause some problems, and you're probably going to, in some cases, damage the uh, uh, the sprinkler as well, which was going to be the least of your worries. Um, John Hughes, this is one here, again, uh, seems very simple, but um, there is a, a procedure to it, uh, identifying your ball. So you buried uh, in the rough, and you can't tell if it's your ball. Um, are you allowed to lift the, the ball for identification purposes, and give us a general idea, uh, again, uh, what has to happen uh, in order to uh, go through the procedure of identifying whether it's your shot or not, or your ball, excuse me. Sure, and I, and I, I would say that this, you, you should never be penalized for this. Uh, you are responsible for your golf ball. And the best way to do it, Duffy Waldorf used to do the best job at this. He had his kids take Sharpies and draw all over his golf balls. And every ball was different, but the mosaic of each of them identified the ball as Duffy's. 
And when he went to a ball that might have been next, literally right next to his player playing partner or, compan- or competitor, there is no way you couldn't tell that was Duffy's ball. Uh, that's why you see people with Sharpies in their hands on the first tee drawing dots or squares or triangles or a logo or whatever the case may be. That's why Nike forever with that famous uh, drop in on 16 at Augusta, you can see the Nike swoosh and you can see the name Tiger on the side. You've got to have some type of identifying mark on your ball. So when you do go to a, situation where two balls are lying next to each other, it's plain as day, hey, that's my golf ball. Uh, just from that fact alone, that, that opinion I just gave, you should never, ever be in a position where you get penalized for hitting the wrong ball. The only way that's going to happen is if you're not paying attention. In tournament mm-hmm. play, not paying attention, that's going to cost you more strokes than you realize, and that's probably, pardon the way I'm going to say it, one of the stupidest penalties you could ever incur. Most all the other ones are could be influenced by bad luck or bad swing. This one is, hey, you just weren't paying attention. The procedure to it is very simple. You have to announce, hey, I'm not sure if this is my ball. Whether it's lying in the rough like John had indicated before, maybe it's plugged in the fairway, whatever the case may be. It used to be that you could not. Uh, remove anything or even touch the ball to try to identify it. Is yours that rule change in 2019 that you are allowed to move the ball? You're actually allowed to pick it up, and you'll see people mm-hmm. pick it up as if it's contaminated with their fing- thumb and forefinger fingertip, <laughs> and, and all the other fingers are away, but they're looking for that distinguishing mark, their logo, their whatever it is. So they don't clean the ball. You cannot clean the ball while trying to identify it. You can't. It's got to be replaced right back into the same situation. So if it was plugged and there was no uh, day, day of ruling that you get relief from plugged balls, then you've got to put it back in the plug. That happens quite a bit in the bunker. When you're in the bunker, it's like, well, I see a ball sticking out. I'm not sure if it's mine. So you you remove some sand to identify it. It's now your job to put all that sand back as close to possible as you found the ball in so you can play the ball as it lies. And that's the real mm-hmm. key. It used to The other thing about identifying and playing the wrong ball, under the old rules before 2019, you could play the wrong ball out of a hazard because you weren't allowed to touch the ball. You weren't allowed to ground the club or anything else in the hazard you weren't allowed to touch the hazard so therefore you could hit a ball that you thought was yours get up to the ball and realize well that's not mine you could go right back to the hazard you came from and start looking for your ball all over again and that held up play so now with the newer rules yeah you're even in a hazard you can pick up the ball so long as you're announcing the intent that you're doing so to identify that it's yours It's got to be put right back where it was, and then you play it as it lies. Uh, It's, Mm -hmm. like I said, it's it's one of those things that I coach my clients to understand, and if I'm caddying for them and I see some blank balls on the putting green, it's literally, hey, stop what you're doing. Here's a Sharpie. Let's identify. Mm -hmm. Let's put something on this golf ball that says it's yours. 
Yeah, and and just to add to it, the other thing too, in addition, uh, again, as you point out, John, you are allowed to, uh, under the new rules, you are allowed to lift the ball for identification purposes. Uh, again, number one, you have to announce your intention that you're uh, going to lift the ball to your opponent, fellow competitors, what have you. Um, and you also have to give them the opportunity um, to, again, your fellow competitors, an opportunity to observe the lifting and replacement. So in other words, you don't want to just do it um, while they're standing off the side. You want to give them that. If they choose not to, that's their doing. But uh, most of them are certainly going to do it, especially in a, in a, a, a professional tournament. They're definitely going to uh, want to witness that to make sure that, again, as you mentioned, if there's sand or other uh, things that could be moved uh, to improve the lie. Um, but you have to give them the opportunity. You can't just go ahead and do it and put it back and say, okay, I found my ball and what have you. You have to make sure that you identify, in the, pro or in the process of identifying, that you give your fellow competitors the opportunity to observe that lifting and replacement of the ball. So uh, great answer, uh, John. Um, thank you for that. Um, so there, there's a lot of other rules that, that come into this. Um, as well that uh, obviously we, we could be here for um, the next several days going over that. But I just wanted to cover a few um, basic ones that most people may be uh, occasionally faced with, more of the common ones, obviously a lost ball, um, uh, identif uh, identifying a, a ball, what to do in the case of uh, when you're on a green or in a bunker, um, that sort of thing. So those are just some general ones. Um, obviously, you want to uh, identify and, and want to uh, take an opportunity to go through the rule book. You don't have to memorize everything, but familiarize yourself. And that's something, too, if, you, if you're at a club, again, there may be certain rules that come up, uh, local rules that may be added to that. You want to make sure you fully understand that and take advantage. Sometimes uh, there may be things uh, where if it's rained a lot, they may have a lift clean in place um, put in, in order for that particular tournament which uh, can give you some advantages, especially if it's muddy and mucky and uh, you hit it even in the middle of the fairway. We've seen that in tournaments in that over the years where uh, the conditions have gotten so bad that they're actually allowing, uh, again, you have to mark uh, your ball, but uh, be able to lift it while it's in the middle of the fairway. The caddy can actually, in, in some cases, can even clean it depending on what the rule uh, provides at that particular time. Uh, so there's a lot of advantages as well knowing the rule. So it's a good idea, I think, guys, when you agree to, to brush up and and understand at least some of the basic rules in that. Um, I'm going to give each of you a chance if there's maybe something else that uh, you want to add that uh, would be a good idea for people to have a good understanding uh, before they do that. John uh, Decker, I'm going to go with you and then John Hughes. Well, one of the rules that, are, uh, that, that the listeners uh, need to understand is the out-of-bounds stake. Um, you know, you are not allowed to move an out-of-bounds stake. So if your ball is, um, when I was uh, here in, in Ohio, we have, um, uh, at, when I was at a, the previous club I was at, the New Albany Club, the Country Club, they had their out-of-bounds marked with a white fence. And if your ball was over by the fence, you did not get relief from that fence. So you do not get relief from an out-of-bounds st stake. So if, you're, you, if it's affecting your swing, you've got to, um, you don't, do not get relief from that. You do, however, if your ball is lying beside a red or yellow stake, uh, uh, you are allowed to move those stakes. You can take them out, you can hit your shot, and then put them back in. So I think that's a rule that, um, that will benefit a lot of people, and the rules of golf are designed to benefit 
all of us, because the rules of golf basically allow you to have options when you get in trouble. And I tell this to every single uh, player that I work with, you are going to get in trouble on the golf course. You are going to find situations where you're going to be in the middle of the trees and you're going to be going, what do I do? I can't hit it. I can't swing. Knowing the unplayable, knowing the options of the unplayable lie, I think are very important. Knowing how to properly hit provisional balls, I think, are important so that you can get out of trouble. And, uh, yes, you're going to have to take a penalty, but at least you can move forward and go on from there and, and, and go to the next hole. And so I think that the general uh, rules, I think, are important. I think the USGA does a good job with the website, with the videos. The videos, I think, are a lot easier to understand than mm-hmm. reading the verbiage because, I, the, uh, quite frankly, the way they write those rules, it confuses me. Uh, so when I watch right. the videos, that helps. I'm not a rules expert, as, as John mentioned. I, I do, I've done some, I, you know, with juniors and stuff, we do the basics. But um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of rules out there uh, and a lot of changes that happen. And if you ever get an opportunity to go to a rules seminar, I would encourage it because you can learn a lot uh, from it. And you will learn to save shots. It will, it's not, I, you know, I tell the juniors, I'm not teaching you the rules so you can go out and call penalties on people. I'm teaching you the rules so that when you get in trouble, you, you know how to get out of trouble and you can go on and use the rules to your advantage, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, exactly. You want to know what your options are. And, and again, we, we're all... Um, you know, a little rusty uh, when it comes to some of the rules. There are a lot of them, and I agree with you. I think when you have an opportunity to uh, go to the USGA's website and see some of the videos uh, that they have on there covering, especially some of the basic rules that are the more commonly uh, used rules, if you will, or or ones that you're going to frequent on the golf course, it's a good idea to see exactly uh, what the procedures are and and what you have to do. I'm I'm like you, uh, you know, sometimes flipping through the rule book, I look at it and I, you know, my eyes roll in the back of my head like a slot machine because, it, again, the verbiage that they're using is, is sometimes a little bit more. Uh, John Hughes, what if you, is there anything else that maybe we, uh, I know there's a lot of them in there, but anything in particular that you can think of that you uh, maybe want to quickly touch on before we uh, get ready to wrap up? Well, sure. Uh, I, I want to agree with a couple of things that John said, but right off the bat when you're talking about verbiage and legalese versus common ground and words and that type of thing. In 2019, the USGA did a wonderful job of cleaning all that up. And what what I basically tell people, and let me give a little background to this, I've been a professional official in four different sports, uh, soccer, baseball, basketball, and golf. And one of the common things amongst all sports is understanding definitions. The definitions aren't written in legalese. It's, it's, mm-hmm. If you read the definitions of the rules of golf, which is basically the first 15 to 20 pages based on who published your book, you can mm-hmm. have a really good working knowledge of any situation in golf. Uh, and because that's really what the rules of golf and, and the decisions book is based off of is is the definitions. So I'd highly encourage you, you don't have to read the rule book, but at least know the definitions. Number two, with the advent of digital media, there's no reason why you can't go to the USGA's website and download the rule book onto your mobile device. Uh, A lot of junior tours actually require that. 
of their participants. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they have it there, and they're allowed to reference their cell phones when in a situation to avoid using 20.1 at all costs. But at the end of the day, 20.1 is in the book, and they allow them to use it. Um, it's, It's not that big of a thing to, when you're bored a little bit, to read a definition. Don't necessarily read the rule. And then third, I agree with you both. Seminars are fantastic. The USGA has done a fantastic job with the videos on their site. There's no reason not to. Um, I did, after saying what I said at the beginning of the program, I did go to a seminar in 2019 so I could acquaint myself with the rules changes. I had not worked as a professional or acting rules official in golf for quite some time. And I look at it as I need to know those as a coach. And I agree if John, we're not teaching you those to call penalties. We're teaching you those so you understand how to use the rules to your advantage. There's not one mm-hmm. rule written to your disadvantage, not one. It's the situation you put yourself in that provided you disadvantage. It's now your job to problem solve. Golf is the ultimate problem solving game besides chess. You can't have a rule book to chess when you're playing it, but you certainly can while playing golf. Totally legal to pull it out. Really good to be going to the seminars to understand how to apply. Yep, exactly. And, again, the rules are there really to help you and um, allow you to take advantage of those rules under certain situations because they are going to help not only speed up play uh, but also uh, let you know what you can and cannot do. And, and I think that most people familiarizing themselves, and that is a good idea too, again, with the digital age to download uh, a copy from the uh, USGA uh, website. You can download a copy of that. And you're right, a lot of juniors are doing that or are required to do that. Uh, and it makes sense. And, and again, understanding the definitions helps to make it a little bit easier uh, so that you're not sort of getting lost up in the, in the legalese or the, the verbiage, as you mentioned. But um, very interesting discussion. I wanted, to do, I wanted to have that tonight, and I thought you guys would be a, a good group to have um, because I know that, um, you know, obviously you're both uh, professionals, but um, I wanted to have that because it's something that really doesn't get talked a lot uh, in golf, you know, on, on various shows and that we talk a, lo- a lot about different aspects of, of game improvement and, and uh, so forth. Um, but a lot of times we don't really touch on some of the rules of the game and how maybe they can help you while you're out there. So I wanted to throw that in there. We hadn't done really anything like this uh, since the beginning of the program, uh, started 10 years ago, and I thought this would be a good opportunity. So I thought I would use you, you two as the guinea pigs for tonight. So you did a great job. Thank you uh, both. Uh, and as always, I'm going to give you both uh, an opportunity to uh, uh, share with the audience the best way they can reach out and if there's anything specific uh, in addition that you want to plug. Um, we'll go in the order that we started, John Decker and then John Hughes. Again, Ted, thank you for all that you do for all of us and allowing us a platform to speak. And to the listeners out there, we thank you for listening. And to uh, John, I always enjoy being on with you and always uh, learn something every time you're you're with us. So thank you uh, as well. Um, if the, for the listeners out there, you can go to DeckerGolf.com. Uh, I have a new website that just came out in January, DeckerGolf.com. I have over 150 videos on the website. I just did one today, and I've got uh, hundreds more that are going to be uploaded over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, so it, it, I've got, uh, you know, full swing, short game, 
uh, chipping, golf fitness. Don't have any rules videos, but have a lot of videos up there if you're interested. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn as well. Um, my book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and Walmart websites. Um, and now I also have a new audio book that just came out about a month ago, um, and it's available on Audible, uh, Amazon Audible, and uh, iTunes. Um, and if you're interested in um, having a public speaker, I do public speaking at churches, golf courses, um, you know, civic organizations, uh, book clubs, anything along those lines, um, talking about my faith and the book and everything um, teaching, um, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'd love to, uh, to uh, uh, come and speak at your venue, and you can also reach out to me on my website, DeckerGolf.com. But thanks again, guys. I had a great time tonight. Appreciate it. And Mr. Hughes. Sure. Again, I echo John's sentiments towards you, Ted. It's always a pleasure. Really appreciate the opportunity. Very different approach to a golf podcast. I hope everybody appreciates uh, the work that you put in behind the scenes to get it all done. John Decker, uh, always a pleasure to be on with you. It's it, we, we seem to be running into each other an awful lot. Look forward to more of that in the future. I uh, want to thank those people who are going to join me at Macklemore in late June. Uh, I think we're going to have a great time. This will be done again next year, so if you missed out this year, we're going to do it next year. I uh, also want to welcome two new additions to the John Hughes Golf family. First off, Metro West Golf Club. As of May 1 is our second Orlando facility, and heading that facility up for me is a new staff member, Scott Power. Thank you, Scott, for joining the family. should be a really interesting and fun and enjoyable time, a completely different type of facility than where I currently am at Falcon Spire. And if you're looking for instruction, whether through me, Scott, or any of my staff, you can find me at johnhughesgolf.com, put an ampersand, a hashtag in front of that. You'll find me on social media that way. Look forward to helping you out. Look forward to when you visit Orlando. hope you consider us for your golf skill improvement. Again, thanks for the opportunity, Ted. Always a pleasure, guys. I appreciate it. And um, have a great weekend, and I will see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Ted. All right, that was uh, John Decker and John Hughes uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. We're going to take a quick break, and then I will introduce tonight's very special guest. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, uh, welcome back. Um, again, very honored to have uh, this evening's special guest. Uh, of course, I mentioned earlier his name is Joe Newmeyer. 
Uh, he is the founding and managing partner of Ace Indoor Golf, uh, which is the leading custom residential and commercial golf simulator companies uh, in the United States. Uh, their products are used by many companies, including Foresight Sports, True Golf, SkyTrack, OptiShot, V1 Sports, PJ uh, Superstores, uh, Golf Tech, and many others. Uh, their designs and installs, uh, they design and install simulator bays for leading uh, uh, locations like the PJ Superstores and Dick's and Five Iron Golf. So please welcome my very special guest, Joe Newmeyer. Good evening, Joe, and welcome hey. to Golf Talk Live. Good evening, Ted. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. It's uh, my pleasure. So I want to I want to talk about before we get into obviously uh, some specifics and that. Give us an idea of of sort of how you got into golf. What was your earliest recollections of uh, the game of golf in, in your earlier uh, beginnings? Uh, so I grew up playing all kinds of sports. So my dad was a uh, avid golfer, and I got involved when I was younger. But I uh, went into the military, spent six years in, and kind of played in military and then actually got more involved as I, uh, after I got out. And obviously, uh, again, we're, we're going to talk about, um, the simulators and that, which is, um, really taking a hold, if you will, in the market, uh, over the last uh, several years. In fact, you know, uh, even despite the pandemic, the last few years that the PGA merchandising show, there seems to be more and more, uh, interest in this particular market, and we're going to talk about that in in a little bit. But um, so this uh, Ace Indoor Golf has been around for uh, 30 plus years um, and has been a leader in uh, this particular industry. In that, um, you also have a founding partner. Maybe you can uh, share a little bit about him as well in this process. But how did you guys come up with the idea of starting this business, and what made you decide to do it? Yeah, so we. Um both worked at a, a company called About Golf. Um, my partner was a CFO, and I was a director of operations. And then, uh, yeah, at some point, as uh, we progressed along our careers at About Golf, there was certain situations that arose, and uh, he and I decided to go out on our own and 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 try to do our own thing. And it's been uh, it's been a good thing. It's been a great thing, actually. So, what is it that that maybe the average golfer, I mean, maybe give it a little bit of background about the simulators, how they work, um, some of the technology that's embedded into it. That, But what is it that I think, you know, again, it appeals to so many people now, including the professionals, um, whenever possible, that get access to the simulators, use them, uh, because there's so much information, especially with some of the modern ones now. Um, but what's sort of behind the technology? What is it that the simulators do for those that maybe are not that familiar with it? Give us maybe a, a rundown of how the simulators work and what some of the information that uh, is behind it and how it's utilized and how it can help <coughs> golfers. Sure. So the, the simulators really started off um, back in the day as a, as a radar-based technology. And um, so... Back in the day, when the golfer would hit the ball, it would it, have, it would have certain data points. It would pick up, uh, like, ball speed, uh, launch angle pretty well, but it, not until pretty much the late 2000s did it start sp uh, picking up spin data. And that's when it really took off with, with about golf and, and a few others. And, and nowadays, there's a dozen different companies from around the world that do golf simulators, but the accuracy 
that's evolved with both the radar and the stereoscopic cameras is what makes it so accurate today and why the golfers can really improve. So, you know, back in the early 2000s, a core, a really good golfer, you hit a shot and, yeah, it might do what you, you want it to do, but pretty much they were all just dead straight because it couldn't pick up spin. But nowadays, they're so useful for game improvement throughout the winter and throughout the whole year, as a matter of fact. So a lot of the pros, if you see in the, on the ranges ahead of time, they'll, they'll either have a track man or a foresight quad. But the data is so precise that even the pros are using it for their, for their game improvement throughout the year. Yeah, and, and this really brings to a great point because now we're seeing it coming into, you know, as the development has come on and the technology has increased, we're seeing more and more even amateurs. I mean, obviously professionals always uh, seem to get first crack at everything that comes out in the market, but now the, even the amateur golfer uh, is able to gain access to it. And as you said, it's a, it's a game improvement uh, uh, product now. It's not just, you know, when they first came out, it was it was a very interesting concept. It was very... Um, certainly user friendly, but it was more about hey, let's have some fun. Let's you know play a variety of different courses that uh, were embedded into the simulator. But now, um, because of the data points and, and the technology that's behind it, now it can actually be used not only from the student's perspective, but from a golf coach. Maybe you could touch a little bit on that as well, how they can utilize that with their students. No problem. So many of the PGA, the, the local professionals that our, our, student, our teachers of the game rely on technology for their lessons. With the, um, you know, in combination with uh, video analysis, um, you know, PGA Superstore, for example, not only using it for selling clubs, but every facility has a couple instruction bays for students. So because of the accuracy of the data indoors, you know, a lot of people, you know, people who are beginning golf, don't like to go outdoors because they get embarrassed. But what they will do mm-hmm. is they'll practice indoors in a private setting. So when when the golfers are making comments like your swing path and your in your face the path, most people don't understand that. But when you right. have the data, you can look at a video of the club actually going through through the swing. It actually starts making sense for people. And, and, and back in the day, it just it just really didn't because people couldn't grasp the concept. Yeah, and and uh, again, it's allowing the industry now to utilize this technology and give some visual feedback. You know, a lot of times the information they'd be hitting into a net, people wouldn't be able to see it, but they're actually with the simulators now because it gives you a real image of what the ball does. We've seen it obviously years ago, we saw it more on the uh, early on in the golf channel with Michael Breed uh, and some of the other instructors that were uh, uh, doing that before, you know, they would hit it into a net and you know, you really wouldn't see what, what would happen with the ball. But again, as you pointed out, the technology is such now that they can actually visually see what the ball would do um, if they were hitting out uh, on a real course. So there's a lot of great feedback. The coaches are, are obviously loving it. And uh, it also gives them another option uh, when the weather is not uh, that great as well, they can uh, bring them inside and still touch on a lot of the fine points that are needed. Um, now, you guys launched something in late 2021, uh, the Gimme Simulator. So tell me a little bit about that. This is a turnkey uh, approach, if you will. Give us an idea of, of what prompted you to move in that direction, and um, maybe you could uh, explain a little bit more what you guys are planning to do moving forward. 
Sure. So back in the day, you know, even throughout the the two two thousands and in two thousand ten to two thousand eighteen or so, golf seminars were just flat out expensive. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, they really started at about forty grand, and you need to get you need to go through one of the manufacturers and get you know to get them to install it. When COVID hit, uh, just with the natural social distancing in the in the golf world lots of people started getting into the industry. And as the price of the technology and the software came down, it made it much more affordable. With with the Internet, with YouTube, the videos, we've allowed people to actually go in there and see how to pick their technology, see what software they need, see how to put a screen or enclosure in, into their home, match it up with a projector, get the, get the right hitting mat. So what we did is we're taking our knowledge in the custom design as well as the installation world. And we're providing key components where the so like a DIY customer can call into us and say, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, mm-hmm. am I looking for game improvement? We get pictures of their room. We get dimensions of the room because not one size fits all. So our ability to work with about a dozen manufacturers, we produce our own screens and enclosures for a variety of companies. So we really allow them to really design their own room. We ship it out to them. They install with all the how-to videos that we've made and, and that's out there on the Internet. So it really allows people to get into the game. You know, back in the day, like I said, it was forty grand. You can get a pretty nice similar for, for five to $10,000 now. That's going to be pretty accurate. And it's just much more affordable. The game has obviously grown the last few years. And uh, we just allow more and more people to get into the into the game and the technology at a much cheaper price point. Well, and and I think also too, um, Joe, what we're seeing in this industry with again, um, thanks to the the pandemic, I guess one of the um, the positives that you could take away is the golf industry has really received a, a pretty big shot in the arm. Um, in a, in a good way, a lot of new people are coming into golf that have never played before. And it's not just a matter of wanting to grasp and learn how to play the game, uh, but it's from an entertainment value. And this really gives uh, a whole new perspective uh, to the game. It's, it's a much different, obviously, than the country club experience or even the resort experience. Um, they're able to bring that entertainment value into um, their home or, or um, uh, maybe even a garage or whatever the case. Um, what has been some of the common requests, if you will, that you guys have received over the last uh, year or so? Most of it is what can I do with my space? Because every okay. space is different. You know, if you if you couldn't swing in your space, very comfortable from both the right and left, it was very difficult with, with older technology to actually fit something into your space. With launch monitors on the floor, such as, like a GC3 from Foresight or a Quad, there's a Mevo, there's SkyTrack, there's a variety of technologies that you can move around. So what we tell people is if you can get into a room and you're comfortable swinging, most likely we can design something for you that you can you can swing. Whether it's a – we've done garages, we've done attics, we've done basements. I've put one in somebody's dining room before. So there's, there's a variety of spaces that these things can fit in now due to, due to the, the advantages of the, of the technology nowadays. And what typically 
if somebody's wanting to to do that, what are you looking for? Obviously, you're looking to make sure that there's adequate space um, to to do that. But um, is there a minimum requirement as far as uh, space requirement that's needed to, in order to be able to? I mean, I know you have a lot of flexibility. You can pretty much go as big as you want, um, but you essentially have to have uh, certainly a minimum space that you have to work with. Is that an idea? Pretty much, am I right? Yeah, 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 correct. So, the arc of the golf swing is going to be around six feet. So, from the from the where your body is, and when you put the ball, you know, especially obviously on a driver. So, you need to have that swing clearance. So, what we do is, you know, typically we like to see at least nine foot of swing clearance as far as the height goes. Mm-hmm. But right. Again, everybody's swing is different. So, you know, usually we like to see about 10 foot in width, um, about at least 15 to 16 foot in depth, and at least a 9 foot ceiling. Typically, if you meet those general requirements, we can do something. Now, again, every room is different. So mm-hmm. as we get to know the customer, we get to know their room, pictures, is there soffits, is the pole. So functionality is the main concern, but right after that, because of the golf ball going 150 plus miles an hour, safety is our second concern, and it's a it's a very close second uh, from functionality. So let's, you mentioned earlier about software. Um, so obviously, there's software that's needed uh, to operate the technology. Uh, is this something that once the initial installation is done and they've selected, uh, is there options to upgrade to? Um, whether it be additional courses is there uh, that may be added. Um, I imagine it, it, initial installation, they could probably get uh, certainly a substantial uh, number of courses that could be in- implemented if they wanted to go that route. But um, is there options for software upgrades? And if so, is that something that they can do once the unit is set up, that they can just do themselves? Um, through a simple process, or is that something where a representative from uh, your uh, company would need to to commit to do that? So each of the manufacturers have, usually they have a proprietary software that matches up with their hardware. There are some technologies, uh, for example, like a SkyTrack or a Unicore. They have not only their own proprietary software, software, but there are third-party packages such as, uh, it's called the Golf Club, GS Pro, what we do is we walk through the process. Typically when we do a what we would call a custom install, we'll match up the technology with the software. You know, we'll go through the consulting phase of the customer, but we'll load the computer with the required amount of courses. But after that, it is pretty simple to go ahead and, and, and update the software. Most of the OEMs update once a year they're continuously adding courses sometimes right. courses are included sometimes there's an additional fee but for the most part once you have it and we set it up it's very simple to add additional courses or, or upgrade the software so how long typically um once a customer reaches out uh to you guys and says okay um I'm interested in this. You have uh, initial discussions or communications as to what the, you're, you know, uh, looking to see what the customer is looking for, and a decision's made. Typically, how how quickly can it be turned around? Is it a number of days? Is it uh, a couple of weeks? Generally, 
has it been for a turnaround from once the customer uh, reaches out and connects to you? So that, that, that varies greatly depending on the technology and kind of the, the design of the sure. space. It could be as quick as a week or two, uh, and it could okay. be as long as three or four months. You know, so it that really just depends on and on what the customers' demands are and, and what we design for them. Right, and, and and again, yeah, it depends on how the sophistication of of what they want and and what their needs are. Um, so, what do you see moving forward? as being sort of the next phase of what you're doing now? I mean, you obviously, the technology is always going to change. Um, where do you see the market trending from what you see now to where you think it's going to go in the next, say, decade? That's a wonderful question. So back when I first started <laughs> in the business, it, it's a very good question. We, you know, even back in the early 2000s, we were like, the market is going to become saturated. It, you know, at some point, this is going to go away, and people are just going to stop buying because whoever can afford one is going to have one. And even into the 2000s, you know, the mid mid teens, it was more and more. And then COVID hit, and it went into a, another realm. At this point, there are tens of thousands of these units being installed uh, across the country every year. So. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I think the price points of the technology are going to keep on coming down, in which will allow more and more people to be able to afford to put these in their houses. You know, there's, there's zero-interest loans, so people are getting in, there, in here really cheap. The hardware mm-hmm. right now, in my opinion, is, is pretty accurate across the board. So you can only become so much more accurate. I mean, if if you're a scratch golfer or even if you're, you know, when you hit a golf ball, a lot of people know what the golf ball should have done. And that's what it's doing nowadays. Mm-hmm. You hit a golf ball, you're a pro, you can call your shot down to the distance, down to the, you know, is it going to be a fade? Is it going to be a punch? You can call that now. So I think the future is going to be in the software. It's going to be mm-hmm. – additional courses, better graphics, being able to play your neighbor, being able to play a, a, a buddy that lives in Japan or anywhere across the world, you're going to be able to play lifetime against each other. My feeling is there are going to be more games. There's going to be more national, like as the, the DraftKings, the fan duels. As that online gaming becomes more real, and there's an ability, you know, like Fortnite, for example, the eSports leagues. Right. Lots of money in those, in those, in those types of leagues and concepts. And I think, and I'm pretty confident, that that's going to hit the golf simulator world at some point. Once they figure out where they can lock down the software, lock down the technology so, they, so people can't cheat, I think there's going to be mm-hmm. some online gaming and sports and tournaments that people can play from their own home. Do you see, Joe, the technology? I mean, we see this in other applications of other games um, where um, you might see it. Um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this in such a way that makes sense, but um, where you're going to see it, like currently right now, you know, you're hitting a, a golf ball. Um, do you see it morphing into more of a 3D type of platform where you're not actually hitting a golf ball, but the simulation is so accurate 
that, um, for instance, uh, Wii has a, uh, uh, a game set, if you will, where you simulate playing tennis, and it's very realistic, and obviously it's going. Do you see golf morphing into something like that down the road as well, where um, you're not even going to need a, a, an actual golf club? It may be a simulation. It may be something like a, um, uh, an electronic club where you're still going to be able to get the real-time benefits that you are now, but maybe not actually have to hit a golf ball. It's a simulated golf ball. Do you see that happening at some point eventually as well? Do you see it with the technology and the software? Yeah. I would never say never. Um, the issue <laughs> – now, there are things like the like the Rhapsodo and some other things that you can add on, like Arcos. You add it on to you know, the end of your club, and it does pick up data. Um, obviously, right. right now, it's not the most accurate data. But do I see that sometime in the future? I, I honestly would not see why not. Um, technology is amazing. Um, you asked me, you know, kind of where do I see this going? I see the outdoor game morphing into an indoor game. I see uh, people outdoors with an app, like, like a GPS app, that's uh, like V1 game, for example. It has mm-hmm. it's a it's an app where you can be out in the golf course. It's got GPS, such as like a Golf Logic. But what it does is it actually tracks every single shot. So at the end of the end of the round, you have all your data, every shot, where your strokes gained are, where where you I kept on missing right on my drives. I'm short left on my approach shots from 150 to 175. I see that data going into the similar world where mm-hmm. it will take it and, and then with through artificial intelligence, which is already here, and coaches, right. it'll, take the, it'll take that data and, and give you personalized golf lessons and drills so you can take the outside, come inside, practice those drills to the point where now you're playing outdoors and you're getting those shots being back. So it's, they're really mm-hmm. integrating pretty well. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think also, too, where you're going to see, um, and, and, and really, this sort of comes into my next question is, who's driving it now? I mean, obviously, earlier on, it was uh, more of an industry-driven and obviously a higher end, but now because it's a cost and more players getting into the market, you're seeing it coming down. But do you see it, again, in addition to obviously being a teaching tool and that, it's now going to become a much more entertainment um, and, and who's driving that? Do you think the, the millennials, as an example, that younger generation coming in? Because they're not looking for the country club experience. I mean, I've talked to many of them, and I've seen, you know, uh, interviews um, as new young golfers come in. They're looking more of, hey, I want to have fun. I want to get out there. And, yeah, I want to play some golf out in the golf course, but I'm interested in the gaming aspect. Do you see that as being part of the driving force behind where sim- uh, golf simulators are moving? I do. Uh, top golf, even though it's outdoors, is a prime example of the entertainment value in getting people who normally will not go out on the course. You know, and playing out in the course and learning the game out on the course uh, will keep people away from the game. Even as a golf guy who's golfed for 20 years, I'm single digit. I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. So right. I certainly believe that. Yeah. So if you're indoors, I mean, there's more and more like five iron golf, for example. It's a right. high-end facilities. They're in major cities, so they're in New York. There are three facilities in Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, Seattle, Las Vegas. 
So they're getting those are key millennial, millennial demographics. People who are in the city, live in the city, probably don't go outside the city, and never will go to a golf course. But they will go. They will go to these facilities and learn the game inside, having fun. You know, it's not serious. But the same token with the with the technology and the software being the way it is. Again, we mentioned game improvement, so they can learn the game of golf inside. So. Golfzon, for example, is a is a company from Korea. You know, X Golf, Korean companies mm-hmm. over there. You cannot play out, outside unless you're pretty wealthy and you belong to a private course. You just don't. You just right. don't get a chance to play. So, Golfzon, for example, is a is per year is a billion dollar company, a billion, with mm-hmm. nothing more than inside golf. So, what I do see, for example, you know. The full swings of the world, the about golf, the foresights, over the last couple of decades, they did pretty good, $20, $30, $40 million in revenue. None of the big boys, such as like Callaway, for example, the Titleist, uh, Bush now uh, just bought Foresight for almost $500 million. I think what you're mm-hmm. seeing is a lot of these big companies with deep pockets are really starting to see the advantages uh, from the golf technology world. So getting people in the game, just like you said, the millennials, guess what? Well, they're mm-hmm. probably going to buy some golf clubs. They're probably going to buy golf balls, probably going to take some lessons. The, they're starting to say, hey, you know what? The technology world in, in, the, in the launch monitor and the golf similar world is, is really taking off. And, and like you right. said, I, I just, it's just not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and I think too, um, Joe. Part of it is we're seeing, you know, obviously other parts of the world. You're seeing a, a, an uptick in golf course development and that. But here in the United States, it's it's kind of gone the opposite. It's actually shrinking uh, a little bit because um, of a timing issue. People don't have time to to do a four to five hour round anymore. So you're seeing, um, and this is pre-pandemic. Forget, you know, we'll set aside the pandemic for for the moment, but. Um, even pre-pandemic, you know, we were starting to see golf courses closing and that because people just didn't have the time. And the younger generation don't want to spend that. So this is a, a really, I see from my perspective, your industry really continuing to take off because this provides an alternative um, to, you know, driving 20, 30 minutes to the golf course, unpacking, getting everything, you know, set up, get on the first tee, and, you know, spending four to five hours, um, you know, the average simulator, you can probably play a round of golf um, considerably less than what you would a traditional game. That's appealing to uh, a young executive, let's say, as an example, that's in their 30s that doesn't have four to five hours to, you know, zip away from the office. So is, is that something that, you, that you're noticing a trend as well? And what are you guys doing to sort of prepare for that market as, as it unfolds? That's a very that's a very valid comment you just made. You're you're spot on. So I mean, four or five hours for the round. That's just the round. That doesn't take into account driving to the facility, getting changed, warming right. up. Maybe so. So that four or five hours, realistically, is more like six. So you're right. Right. I can go downstairs to my basement. So maybe I play once a week, maybe I play twice, but a lot of people nowadays, more family time, kids are outside, travel baseball, travel soccer. So they just don't have time. Love the game, don't have time. 
and they certainly right. don't have time to practice. You know, and most golfers, for the most part, are pretty competitive people, so they like to, you know, improve. They know that golf is a repetitive game, so you need to practice. You need to get the repetitive motion of the, of the golf swing. And to go downstairs or go out to your barn and play around the golf uh, by yourself in less than an hour. So you take that six-hour round, turn it into an hour, or I go down, you know, three or four days a week, and I can turn the golf simulator on, hit a few clubs uh, for a half an hour, and I can take that game and migrate it to the outside world. So that's mm-hmm. what we're really trying to drive. That's definitely been some of our, our tremendous growth over the last couple of years. And we're really just trying to make it affordable for most people. You know, so we're taking the four or $50,000 simulator um, and trying to get it somewhere in the teens, somewhere between ten and 20000 um, maybe a little bit less. I mean, obviously, there's, like, the Opti shots of, of the world, the, the Skytrack. So you can get in. They have packages starting maybe around 1500 to $2,000. Not the most accurate system in the world, but you understand that going in, but it at least allows you to swing indoors and get the repetitive nature of, of the golf swing down. So that's really what's driving it is it's, it's time it's affordability um and, and again it's just you know golf's popularity has skyrocketed over the last couple of years especially during covid it's been you know yeah i, I see but, really um part of the future of the game I, I see it evolving to a point where as an example it's it's going to be like almost a gym membership, going to the gym. I see the future of golf in some ways, not in every, again, that's not to say that traditional golf is going to be gone completely, but I see something where facilities are going to pop up, you know, uh, across the country and around the world. I know there's already some similar to it now, but where, you know, they might have multiple bays and you pay a monthly fee and uh, or weekly fee, what have you, and uh, instead of, you know, spending four hours out in the golf course, you drive much like you would to the gym and maybe book a 30-minute uh, uh, bay with all of the amenities and, and so forth. Uh, for those that maybe don't have the uh, option of, of bringing it into their home, maybe they live in an, a smaller apartment, I see that popping up now um, where you're going to see more and more organizations, I think especially some of the bigger organizations, come in and do that and opening up something like a Planet Fitness for golf where, you know, 100 people can go in and rent out a, a bay for 20, 30 minutes or even an hour. Uh, is that something that it, you uh, think is going to happen or is already in the motions? It, it's already happening. Uh, again, I mentioned Five Iron Golf earlier. They have uh, about 12 or 13 facilities now in the United States. Um, they had a $30 million investment from Callaway uh, to go ahead and open more of these facilities. So, I see them popping up. They have a very aggressive growth plan. If you walk into one of these facilities, they're amazing. Somewhere around 12 to 15 simulators, a putting green, a full kitchen, full bar. They have private areas for lessons with a PGA Pro. They have a, a complete fitting studio so you can you know, max, match any iron head, driver head with any of the shafts. Um, they have pay by the month pay by the hour, annual subscription, you know, membership fee. So you're, right. you're, right. you're spot on. And, and they're going to franchise. 
So they have a franchise model coming up. There's a bunch of you know, private places that are already open. Um, X-Golf is a franchise model with around 100 facilities in the United States. Um, the golf techs of the world for, you know, for teaching and, and, and lesson, you know, and, and for practice. So there, there's a lot of uh, facilities like that throughout the United States, and, and it's just going to keep on getting bigger. Yeah, and I think it's something that's obviously um, not just going to grow in the with the average consumers, but I see in, even in the corporate world. I mean, golf has always been uh, a driving force in corporate America. Uh, you know, many executives over the years have done a lot of business over the years on a golf course. Um, mm-hmm. But again, even they, with the high demands on on jobs and and uh, and so forth, don't have uh, the luxury of sneaking off for you know four to five hours anymore. Uh, just not able to do it. Um, I see these types of facilities being uh, a, a very um, smart al- alternative to uh, entertaining clients and taking them out and, and getting that same sort of golf experience um, and actually having other options because now it's not just a matter of taking them to the local country club. Uh, now they have access to thousands of, of different options. They can play St. Andrews. They can play Augusta National. They can play whatever course essentially they want. Um, where otherwise they would not have that option to do so without a great expense and obviously uh, a lot of time involved. So I can see this from a corporate standpoint, from an executive um, uh, perspective, being very, um, very advantageous to uh, a lot of executives. Uh, what are your thoughts? I completely agree. Uh, along those lines as well, um, you mentioned attorneys and, and, and corporate offices. Uh, we're putting simulators in corporate offices. Obviously, mm-hmm. with uh, with COVID, a lot of people were working remote. Remote. Now they're starting to try to try to get the employees back in into the offices. And one of the things they're doing is they're putting in something such as a golf simulator. So we've done mm-hmm. multiple all offices. Uh, Zurich, for example, uh, you know the PGA tournament was just down there with the, with the team format. We're actually doing their national headquarters. We're putting in two simulators and two huge putting and practice practice greens in their corporate headquarters. So mm-hmm. not only do you have uh, the facilities that are doing it, but they're going ahead and just doing it themselves. So whether it's the, hey, you know what, I want to take a half-hour break, clear my mind, I'm going to go downstairs and practice, or after work I'm going to get together and they're going to have like a little little bar area. They're going to go down, you know, maybe they'll get two or three or four people and play 18 holes. So. That's definitely happening. It's happening now, and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful amenity. Almost all golf courses are doing it nowadays. A lot of them kind of mm-hmm. didn't want to do it in years past. Um, private golf courses, public golf courses, corporate offices, uh, condominium complexes, high-rises in Chicago and New York City. So a lot of people are, are putting these in nowadays for a, a large variety of reasons. Yeah, and there, and again, golf has has really taken off um, in these last couple of years, particularly. I mean, it's you know, I'll be the first to admit, you know, being in the business that um, it was you know starting to slump somewhat for a few years, um, and I think that with the technology and sort of the new opportunities and growth that's come into the game in the last couple of years as a result of the pandemic, has really given a lot of people the option to sort of take a look at things and say, okay, you know what, we need to change the model that we've been running for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years um, and come up with something new. Because, again, the generations coming forth now um, 
are not really, I mean, I know, I just got back, as I was mentioning to the gentleman that came on before you, I just got back from Pinehurst, and there's a lot of uh, young men and women coming out into the game, and certainly they want to play a lot of these uh, courses, but again, their time is limited, and they're looking for other opportunities as well. And I think your market, the simulator market, is something that uh, is is enjoyable because there's a lot of, they love, obviously, technology. Uh, they can integrate with it very easily, and they get a lot of the stats and information that you pointed out earlier uh, in real time and get an option to uh, get feedback that's going to help them improve along the way. And you can't always do that uh, as easily or the transition is as smooth uh, in real time as it is through the simulation uh, uh, process. So um, I can definitely see this is going to advance. It's going to be interesting to see um, where it goes over the next uh, couple of decades. And uh, I think you guys are obviously, as, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, in the forefront of this. Um, one last question. What would you like to see happen? Obviously, you want to continue sales and that, but what would you like to see happen? Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would like to see happen uh, in the years to come? Yeah, I think one of the comments I'd like to make is, is again, in years past, golf simulators were mainly a northern climate type technology, you know, application because of, of the long right. years. Um, mm-hmm. Our industry has grown, and there is no geographical location limitations. We're putting them in Texas. For, I mean, there is no state that doesn't get these. It also used to right. be a seasonal business, and people, we'd install them in the fall for the winter. Now it's all year round because of the game improvement. So one, I think I think it's almost mainstream now with the, with the technology and the software. Uh, people are using them. The pros have obviously validated the technology uh, out, out in the golf course. I would like to see more people get in the game, and I think that will happen because of everything we've just discussed. They can get in the game. Right. It's, they can make it make it fun. It doesn't, you know, sometimes golf is not fun. Um, right. So, <laughs> I can attest, yeah, yes. So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, like, there's more, like, there's more, you know, break the glass, which, which is fun. But what you'll have is you'll have different launch angles that you have to hit the ball to kind of break certain panes of glass. So there's going to be right. more entertainment. That's really entertainment based when you get to that point. It's fun. It gets, but at the same point, at the same time, it helps you hit the golf ball and, and work on your game. But I think the online gaming, the ability to play, we get, this, we get asked this all the time. Can I play my buddy in California? I live in Ohio. Can I, can I play him at the same time? Can we see each other's shots on the screen? That's coming. Mm-hmm. There's there's some capability yes. to do that right now, but not not where I foresee it being in, in the near future. Right, and that is going to be a big thing. I mean, with there are so many apps out there that allow you to do in other industries that allow you to do that. That's definitely something that I see um, happening now in golf. Because again, if you've got friends that are in other states or even other countries, and it's not always possible to get together, maybe one buddy trip a year if you're lucky, um, or maybe every couple of years. Um, now this is going to alleviate that and say, hey, you know, let next next Saturday night, let's you know hop in our simulators and let's uh, you know have a have a round of golf at what, wherever it happens to be. Um, that's going to, and be able to to see it all in real time is definitely something that I think is going to be a huge impact in the industry. Um, so let me ask you, how can uh, the folks that may be interested that uh, want to get more information, let's direct them to a website or a way that they can communicate with you guys to. Uh, 
uh, to maybe make some further inquiries? Sure. So we have two different websites. Uh, for the DIY crowd, it's uh, com, and aceindoorgolf.com is more of our, our custom site. Um, so real quickly, I know we've talked about golf simulators the whole time, but it, on top of the actual golf simulator in the space, they do, we do have capabilities of adding multi-sports, soccer, football, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have, you know, a nice – our screen systems are extremely nice. Projectors nowadays are great, laser projectors, 4K. So not mm-hmm. only does the space – and sometimes this is what sells, sells the wife or the other half – is, you know what, kids, husband or wife can go down and play golf. Kids can play soccer. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. It also duels as a as a home theater system. So, a lot mm-hmm. of things have come a long way to kind of help us everything that we do to help you know improve somebody's home. That's fantastic. Yeah, and and again, it's it's all, you know, I think it it, it again opens up the door for um, family entertainment, and people are looking for for a change. And you know, the sort of the traditional games and things like that can be fun for a while, but now this opens a whole new door um, for you know parents and their kids doing something together, um, and again having the ability to do multiple sports in addition to just golf uh, is is definitely something that uh, I think a lot of families could uh, could buy into. Um, well, Joe, I want to thank you very much for for joining me tonight in Golf Talk Live. It's been interesting. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of the simulators over the years, and it's always interesting to see uh, where things are going. And it sounds like we've got an exciting future. Uh, and certainly you guys do in uh, in your business uh, over the next uh, several years. Uh, it is. Uh, again, it's it's continuous growth. Uh, I love what I do. I love the game of golf. Um, mm-hmm. Customers are fantastic. We've installed, you know, CEOs, you know, run multi, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. And, and I always tell people at the end of the install, we get ready to train. Every one of them is like a little kid at Christmas. It's just a fantastic oh, yeah. <laughs> business to be in. Uh, it's, it, it's just amazing. You see these powerful people, these real serious people, and they're giddy. They can't wait to hit that first shot. So it's a, it's a wonderful oh, yeah. business to be in. Uh, it's going to continue to grow. And, and Teddy, I, I really appreciate you having me on, uh, on your show, and I look forward to answering any questions that any of your customers may have. They can also contact me at uh, joe at aceindoorgolf.com, and uh, I look forward to it. Appreciate it. All right. I appreciate Thank you. Have a great weekend and much continued success, and I look forward to keeping an eye out uh, on what you guys have coming up in the future. Um, all the best, and again, thank you for being my special guest tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Joe Newmeyer, founding and managing partner at Ace Indoor Golf and uh, Gimme Simulators. Uh, you can go to gimmesimulators.com or aceindoorgolf.com. Com to get more information. Once again, thanks to John and John for joining me tonight at Coach's Corner. Always a, a pleasure having both of them on as well. I hope you guys uh, learned a little bit about the rules tonight. Uh, I'd like to throw something, uh, a curve in, as I said, for the guys just to give them something different to uh, uh, challenge them with, and I think I did a good job of that tonight. But uh, appreciate it, as always, for you joining. Um, next week, we'll have another Coach's Corner panel and another uh, interesting guest. hope you'll join us. God bless everybody and have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. 
We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.